0: conversations may run dry as night passes by, but I don't mind sitting in the silence with you. Welcome to the podcast series, Conversations That Shape Us by Leadership Space. I'm Elise Cernick and I'm Executive Director and Founder of Leadership Space. This episode, I have the great joy and pleasure to sit down with Aaron Hurst. Aaron is a futurist and a successful social and um, commercial entrepreneur. I was able to sit down with Aaron because he came to Australia as the keynote speaker for the 2015 Better Boards Conference um, and to come and speak on the topic of the purpose economy and he coined that term and has a book of the same name. Uh, He also ran a breakout session on um, his insights and work around pro bono services and more on that later. Uh, Sitting down with Aaron was quite a synchronous experience. My colleague and I um, had presented on... Aaron's work um Melissa McPherson from People for Purpose and myself last year uh and related that to the importance of um applying some of these concepts and taking them um forward with boards so really wonderful to have um Aaron come speak in person to the conference and then to sit down with him and um and have this conversation um, having heard Aaron uh, and read his work uh, a number of times, what I really wanted from Aaron was to see if we could sort of take as given people's familiarity with, it, with the key concepts that he puts forward um, so that we could really explore more deeply and get full value out of his time. Um, so what I wanted to know was, you know, how his thinking relates, particularly to the opportunities and the challenges of the social purpose sector. Uh, and uh, and he kindly agreed um, and this conversation is the result the downside of course to this was that um, to really get the most out of this podcast it would be worth spending just five minutes watching his YouTube video introducing the notion of the p- purpose economy um if you haven't come across it before. Um, and for even more value, either as a pre or a post activity to the podcast, you could watch his 58-minute talk. Um, he's done one to Google and one to LinkedIn, both of them recorded and on um, YouTube. Um, and I'll be providing links to all of those on the on our website. Uh, Aaron set up a for-benefit corporation called Imperative. Um, and it provides a tool to assess your own purpose profile. It's uh, an instrument that the company developed um, and it's free to take the test Um, and then there are further tools and resources on his website particularly about um, examples of where people, leaders and cities were applying this purpose concept so people can understand it more deeply. So without further ado let's now um, go to the conversation with the very kind and engaging Aaron Hurst. So, Aaron, welcome to Conversations That Shape Us.
1: Excited to be here. Looking forward to it.
0: Really want to have an exploration today around you, who you are, how you got here, um, and what you see the relevance of the purpose economy concept and and experience to social purpose sector, the the change sector, whatever you want to call it, (laughs) the (laughs) latest title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then to leadership and what this stuff means for people who are trying to, Lead organisations, lead movements, be entrepreneurial in the social purpose space. Sounds great. So, um, can I start with kind of you know how did you get here to this place <laughs> in your your life? What's what that look like?
1: Yeah, it's, I don't know where. It's hard to know where to begin. Um, you know, I think there's different aspects as I think about where I am now, and uh, sort of different uh, journeys that led to different parts of it. I think the. Social entrepreneurship, I think, very much is part of my family. My grandfather uh, worked for President Kennedy, uh, developed the original blueprint for the Peace Corps, and uh, was the CEO of the Aspen Institute, which is a uh, sort of think tank um, in Washington, D.C. So always had that sort of as a model growing up. Um, but for me, I, I've always been wired as an entrepreneur, first and foremost. I just love mm. trying to build new things. I love it. When people say something's not possible, like there's no greater sort of motivation to me than hearing someone say that's not possible. Um, and since I was a teenager, I've been you know, starting businesses, different clubs, different enterprises, um, trying to sort of explore how do organizations work, how do you build things, how do you do things. Um, did a great program uh, when I was in the university developing curriculum for students to go out and actually teach in prisons and come back and reflect on that as a experiential learning, service learning model and was really passionate about that. Then went and worked in uh, education uh, in the inner city of Chicago and really started to see how nonprofits, social enterprise organizations, social impact organizations work. And what struck me in Chicago was that these organizations had a tremendous vision, um, but they'd pretty much almost given up on the rhetoric actually ever achieving it Mm. because I just always felt like there was a poverty mentality in the organization itself. Um, And I realized at 21, I can't spend my whole career having these great inspiring visions and just slowly like letting go of that being a possibility. Mm. And at the time, it was mid-90s, where I saw organizations setting crazy goals and actually achieving them was Silicon Valley. And I moved to Silicon Valley in the mid-90s and worked for two sort of socially oriented uh, dot-coms. Um, and learned a tremendous amount about running a business, um, about scaling a business. Both, I was one of the first 10 employees. Both scaled to several hundred over two years. So to see that kind of growth. Um, and it you know confirmed one thing. Money matters, right? You can't be naive about that. But I also saw how much functional talent played a role and how these startups were hiring senior marketing people, technology people, HR people, way ahead of when you normally would because um, they wanted to grow into it. And when I reflected on my nonprofit experience, it was the opposite. It was five years after you needed it, you might hire someone. Uh, and as a result, I was constantly tripping up organizations, not just in terms of execution, but as places to work. Um, they weren't fundamentally able to be cutting edge, which prevented some of the best people from wanting to work there. And I sort of had the uh, uh, sort of aha moment of realizing maybe there's an opportunity to supplement philanthropy with a skilled philanthropy, a way for professionals to donate their marketing tech HR skills to help nonprofits build this capacity and started an organization called the Taproot Foundation, uh, which was all about connecting business talent to nonprofits, but doing it in a way in which it was high quality. Uh, and it took us about three years to figure out how to actually get projects to get done. Completely. Uh, I, mean, was I remember so
0: looking into how to get launched skilled volunteering in Australia six sure. years ago and the issue wasn't interest from the market the intre- the issue was concern and resistance from the social purpose yeah, part exactly of the right. economy yeah that's same. you always had the same experience yeah
1: so we had to really build like our whole thing was how do you build the science of completion um, how do you get these projects done so that nonprofits could basically feel that they'd guaranteed a result mm-hmm. and once we'd done that it really built out the market because it suddenly made pro bono a viable model for folks. Mm -hmm. Um, So we did that. And then ultimately, which I talked about the keynote, what I found was these business professionals that were doing this were getting so much out of it. Um, But it pointed to the fact that they weren't getting enough out of their actual day jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, They were treating pro bono as a supplement to an unhealthy meal. And so much of our work had basically become unhealthy meals. And supplements are a wonderful business to be in, but I felt like the challenge that really needed being addressed was how do we make these meals healthier? How do we make our core jobs higher in meaning? Mm -hmm. And that really led me to leave Taproot and start Imperative to figure out how do we help transform the nature of work to make it as fulfilling as pro bono work. So that's really sort of the journey I'm on now. Mm -hmm. The book, The Purpose Economy, came out of that reflection, but also just seeing so much change going on and trying to make sense of it Um, and trying to take all these disparate actors who are all working and say, we're all doing the same thing. This is part of a bigger historic context. And when we understand that, we understand that it's an economic imperative to do this. It's not a nice-to-have, it's not just about social good, but actually is the first time a marriage of social good and economic imperative at the same time, which is an amazing time to be alive and to be working.
0: Mm. I mean, what fascinates me and interests me about your history and the way that's played out is, you know, it sounds like you kind of got, you know, economic, um, the economic imperative and the social imperative kind yep. of through the breast milk at the same time. and And exactly. that's, that's, you know, that's something that we still have a culture of kind of people moving across like they're yeah. different and yeah. do you think that's kind of really influenced the way you operate? That you
1: absolutely. I think when you blur and work across sectors and work across lines you realize how much commonality there is um, whereas on your other side you tend to see difference.
0: Yeah and you're not sort of shipping it across in chunks absolutely. but actually yeah, it's all evol- co-evolving together.
1: No absolutely and you start to appreciate how hard each piece is. I think that's the other mm. component is really building an empathy for mm. all the different players yeah. Um, versus a sympathy, and I think that makes a big difference.
0: Yeah, yeah. It, very interesting that observation around how um, powerful it was to see um, organizations start with a social purpose and become economically successful because they invested in their their people and yeah, and, absolutely and the quality. Yeah, which you know, no, you
1: see that over and over again, and it's um, I mean, it's amazing we've developed all these myths about nonprofit organizations and how they should operate. And I don't know how much those perpetuate here in Australia, but I'm sure they're similar. Completely, um, yeah. And, you know, we expect nonprofits to operate on a fraction of the overhead of a corporation. Mm. And if a nonprofit has higher overhead than that, it's considered uh, to be, you know, wasteful. Mm. When, at the same time, companies demand that. So I think we have to really change a lot of these myths if we're really going to break through.
0: As you think about that now and looking at the way the social purpose um, sector, if you like, looks in the US, probably your best reference, but sure. anything you know about Australia, you know, what role do you see the social purpose sector having in being part of creating and thriving? And, you know, I know you're a futurist and you're an optimist. So, you know, if we're going to have this kind of healthy, more sustainable economy and, you know, human existence, yep. what role does the social purpose Sick to playing that in your I think view. the whole
1: entirely depends on the sector. Like what they would, whether or not they step up and play a leadership role or become less and less relevant. And I think right now, the social sector has an opportunity to lead because um, they're the ones that have been working on this for decades, right? Um, but there's also such an entrenched dogma around the way things have been um, that if there's not a willingness to change and lead, and instead of, you know, the current mindset is to be sort of the other child or to be the one that's sort of on the side, and instead of being able to switch and say, no, we are to the mop To up,
0: mop up in some way? Is yeah, kind of-
1: yeah no, absolutely. I mean, it, if you step into that role as a sector... Uh, I think there's tremendous opportunity to lead in talent, to lead in how our cities are formed, to lead in how we think about every aspect of the economy. Uh, But it takes having that optimism and to realize that opportunity is there right now. I think the other side is also entirely possible, which is continue to do work the way we have been as a sector. And what we'll see is Basically, corporations filling that gap and leading. And companies will actually become the purpose organizations because um, they're focused on it and they're seeing that gap that, frankly, nonprofits aren't filling right now. So, sort of see it as a you know, there's this gap in the market. Nonprofits mm-hmm. can either sort of stay where they are move and move into it, or they can just sort of stay doing what they're doing and see companies and others fill that gap. And I think that would be a shame because I think. Social sector organizations can do a better job um, and should be in that leadership role.
0: What are they leveraging to succeed in that? You know, what what do you think's the the diamonds that you know the sector has to bring to contribute and play that leadership role? What are the strengths that they're bringing? Um, you know, so it's funny you.
1: you, you um do corporate consulting and working with leaders. Uh, yeah, the, number exactly one thing, coaching, the number one thing yeah. I see companies struggling for <laughs> um, is authenticity, mm. um, a lack of authenticity. And I think that's the thing where social sector organizations have that diamond. Not all of them, mm. um, but that ability to be authentic and to be real mm. um, and being able to translate that into other aspects of the economy, other aspects of society. Mm. Um, and it sounds so basic. And when you're sitting it you're like, of course. But that's a tremendous competitive advantage just to be authentic because it's really hard to manufacture authenticity.
0: Mm. Completely resonates. Mm. The piece that I heard you talk about earlier around that notion that, you know, for social purpose organizations in lots of ways, um, it's presumed that people are there because they're there for a calling. Yep. um, And that somehow, you know, that, uh, that we've got people who are more oriented towards or expecting to live a life that's driven by calling and that we're not some, somehow leveraging that for all it's worth. Is that, yeah. Do you think there's you know, truth in that well, I think it's the, for the sector? Yes, in both. I mean,
1: I think it's, you got to recognize, I think it's often hard for board members or leaders to see the day-to-day of what it's like to be an employee
0: mm.
1: and understand, like, no matter how great the cause of the organization is, um, we have fights with our coworkers. We have days that are just bad days. We have troubles with computers that don't work. Um, we do work that doesn't actually end up getting implemented. Like These things happen, and they're often not connected to like the core cause of the organization. They're part of how the whole mechanism works, um, and purpose and the sense of fulfillment and work it doesn't come usually from like the meta purpose of the organization. It comes from those day-to-day things. The things you remember about our work aren't those accomplishments that happen every five or ten years. It's the little relationship moments. It's the little things we do that are those moments that really matter. And I think it's building a culture where that's what is sort of dominates the culture instead of focusing on these sort of the meta purpose. Because the meta purpose is incredibly inspiring, but it's also it's not part of the day-to-day of what you do. Uh, and if you're a CEO, all you're doing is telling the metapurpose story to investors. And everyone once so you live in that metapurpose, that's only true of like a handful of people in an organization. And you've got to be able to build that ability to relate to what it's like to be an accountant or to be on the front line of an organization and realizing it's the little moments you've got to curate.
0: Mm. And I, So you, that notion you talk about, there's relationships, the work that matters, yep. and growth. Can yep. you talk more about how… You know, what are the, the opportunities and challenges in your view for the social purpose sector that they need to get their head around in order to be able to, you know, mine kind of latent purpose opportunity that's sitting in their organizations and in their people yep. so that they can be positioned, you know, Yeah, I sort success? of – I'm going to
1: give you a slightly long answer to this because I think it's a three-stage mm-hmm. process and it starts with yourself, right? So if you're not doing it with yourself, then it's going to be hard to do that for the people you're leading. So mm-hmm. – you know, really encourage people to just stop and reflect on what is the quality of relationships in your work today? You know, and scale that up one to ten. Like ten being I have amazing relationships. I couldn't handle another amazing relationship. And one being I'm really void of, you know, relationships that matter in my work right now. Um, and then, again, on impact, to what degree do you feel like your work today matters? Um, you know, one being if I just died no one would notice, and ten is I couldn't possibly make a greater impact. Mm-hmm. And same thing on growth. You know, to what degree are you feeling like you're growing? Ten being I couldn't imagine growing more, and one is I'm actually atrophying. Mm-hmm. And if you just regularly do that process of inventorying those and seeing where you are and taking responsibility for that, you start to also see some of the small things you can do to improve relationships, small things you can do to feel more impact. In fact most of the sort of changes in impact has more to do with observing the impact you're already making because so much of the impact we have we're oblivious to we don't follow it all the way through to the finish line mm-hmm. so we don't ever see why our work matters and then growth realizing that growth isn't given to you you've got to create it for yourself mm-hmm. so once you've started to build that practice and it's very simple it's five minutes and
0: for you those are the kind of three core components that Uh, make up purpose in a kind of living daily way i mean it's not for me it's for the science i mean to me that's the science of it right so
1: those are the three things that if you have strong scores in those like that's success success isn't climbing the ladder success is being able to score nine or ten consistently in the quality of relationships impact and growth and it doesn't matter if you're a barista at starbucks or the ceo of starbucks being able to have that And being able to manage that, that is the pinnacle of success. Mm. Um, And helping people define it that way – They'll live longer, healthier, contribute more across the board. Mm. Those three things. So
0: be more successful. Yeah, and 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 you know what's interesting about what you're saying there and, and resonates you know strongly in my own experience is and I, and I love the point that you made in the keynote earlier, which I'd love to come back to. But is that that's that doesn't require that isn't a direct correlation between how much money you need in your L and D budget?
1: No, not at all. It has to do with personal responsibility for that. There are certain cultures that make yeah. it harder, there are certain situations, but the first step is just taking responsibility. An understanding
0: that, how and understanding. That it. Insight about Self-awareness, and understanding. Self awareness,
1: take responsibility. What it is
0: that you're striving towards, where your value yeah. is. Yeah, yeah.
1: So that to me is like the first step to your question. I think the mm. second step is then for your team, how do you help create those regular conversations? So when you're checking in with a teammate, You're asking them, how are the relationships in your work now? Do you feel like you're making an impact? What makes you feel like you're making an impact? What growth do you feel now? What could make you do more of that? And helping them basically do what we call job tailoring, of getting their job to actually fit them. And it's not a one-time thing. It's just a regular part of that process. Mm -hmm. Um, And being able to talk to your people about that um, in a very authentic way. Mm -hmm. Then you start to see the organization internally building a culture around – Purpose. And the third stage is then taking that out to your constituents, um, whether those are customers, clients, whoever it is you ultimately serving, and asking them the same questions. So how are you basically improving the lives of the people you serve by strengthening their relationships, enabling them to make a greater impact, and growing? And even as someone, you know, as a nonprofit you're serving who's down on their luck in so many different ways, just flipping that conversation to the positive of, like, let's focus on the relationships. Let's focus on, like… Just because you're in a position there, you need to be served, one of the most powerful ways to address that is actually put you in a position to serve yourself and getting out of that cycle um, of being dependent on others. And then growth. Even in our hardest times, we need to grow. And often that's when we grow best is when we're struggling.
0: Mm. Yeah. I, you know, it, it's so, so so much of what you describe feels like the science of what we're doing intuitively it's really Absolutely. really interesting well so we, i mean we all
1: know these things it's human nature i think yeah. the challenges coming out of the industrial industri- industrial economy yeah. is we started trying to figure out how to create a manufacturing model for yes. human being interaction yeah. and that's basically been in some ways a wildly successful experiment and in some ways a horrible one it's kind
0: of superficial in my you know, um, sense is it's superficially successful, like your yep. description of the professional, yep. who you know measures success by how high up the hierarchy yep. you've gone, and yet, you know, a lot of what um, our work is about is kind of collecting these kind of lost souls yeah. who, at some point, were like, what, "What would I really like to do with my life? What yep. really matters?" And and um, the point you make about um, having to do it yourself, yep. I think, is really interesting. Um, so, you know, for, and in moving into the kind of leadership piece, you know, is, is what you're saying effectively, you, you know, you can't lead an organisation that is fired up and leveraging purpose To the maximum, unless you as the leader have done, you know, understand your own purpose. Is, you know, is that part of what you're saying? Yeah, I mean,
1: I think it's the best way to do it. It's the most authentic way to do it. It's the most successful way. I think you could probably fake it for a while. (laughs) But ultimately, I think that's what builds strong leadership. And Mm. it's the vulnerability that comes out of that. Mm. And stating that you have needs, that you're a human as well. A lot of what people do psychologically is they project superhero powers on leaders. uh, And then they constantly disappoint them. Because no one's really a superhero. People can't make, you know, create magic. Mm. Um, And I think the more people can see leaders as human um, and as one of them, uh, the better off everybody is. Because it gets rid of that magical thinking.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, thinking about organizational change, which is effectively what we're talking about. And you're very rooted in, you know, um, economic sustainability. How do you see these things playing in with each other? You know, quality service and economic sustainability and and cultural strength how do you view though that ecosystem
1: the first piece to me which took me a while at taproot to get my head around was just we need to let go of the fact that we need our organization to sustain i think that's a false framework and it's overstated i think there is definitely a need to be able to make sure you know you're meeting your obligations you want to build with the future in mind. And that, to me, is sort of the better way to state sustainability, build with the future in mind. What I see sustainability often become is a dominant mission of just survival. Um, and survival is a horrible place for it's anyone survival. to live. Whatever it is, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like a, the top mission of the organization is like not to lay anybody off or not to be able to stop what they're doing. Um, and that's just an illusion. And I, you know, I looked at Fortune 500 companies in the U.S., right? The largest corporations. And their average lifespan was about 50 years from start to demise. And these are like the companies we think of as the bedrock of our society. And they're less resilient than human beings. And yet we make all these discussions about sustainability, et cetera, as if these organizations should last forever. Um, And they just don't. And I think we have to let go of that and mourn the fact. When you start an organization, mourn its death from the Mm get-go And therefore, you're able to allow it to take risks and to do things that matter. And when I realized Taproot probably will not outlive me, it actually enabled me to be much more successful um, in realizing that. And I realized what I wanted to outlive me was the impact. And then you start to have a real conversation about sustainability. Mm-hmm.
0: So it's kind of that, you know, that notion that's been taken up. I've heard it certainly from the US and, and conversations here about you know knowing what your end game is and kind of in your end game is just, you know, make an impact, get out kind of thing. Is that, you know...
1: It's not just really make an impact or get out. I think it's just constantly make decisions with impact first, not the organization first. I see so much competition that's not necessary um, in the sector. I see so much of preservation activity. Um, Instead of saying, here's, you know, we talked about collective impact earlier. Like, here's the metric we want to change, and we're going to focus on that. And if it turns out someone else can do that better than us, like, we should have a moral responsibility to help them do that, not to figure out how to compete with them in that space. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's a challenge when, like, the organization's needs start to – supplant the emissions needs and it's as a leader really like i don't it's it's not a it's not hard to fall into that trap because you've got people around you you care about you want to make sure they have a job you start worrying about from an ego standpoint like what failure is and that's why like, i've always tried to frame success of the organizations i'm in in external metrics not in our budget not in mm. internal I know, metrics i've heard a lot
0: of you know yesterday i was at the ceo's um day here and um, and people talk. CEOs can talk with some pride about feeling like that their role is the custodian of the organization. Yep. Is that kind of. Yeah,
1: which is a very passive job. Yeah. Which versus sort of a catalyst. Which is, I must yep.
0: leave the organization alive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
1: Good job. Yeah, no, we just we don't need. I mean, you see this in the f- commercial sector. Like, we don't need organizations to survive. I think we should let go of that as being the goal. Um, and have much more measure- measurement to impact, which I think sounds simple, but it's not the way the dominant psychology is. And boards are like terrible at this because it's so much of the conversation in boardrooms I'm in is about survival, it's about competition, it's about the organization, and not about, okay, this is our mission, what is the best way to do that? And the answer may be partnerships in different ways, it may be things um, that you wouldn't look at if you're looking at it first from the balance sheet.
0: Hmm. One of the comments you made, which I thought was, you know, uh, put so beautifully, um, something that I have found myself saying, having been a fundraiser in the past, about how do you take the notion of purpose, and you sort of talked about earlier, you know, that it applies outside of the organisation as much as inside. Yeah. What's your point there about you know making your making seeing how do you see volunteers and funders and that notion of them finding their purpose and how that aligns yep. to your relationship yep. as an organization you, talk you, get to, about that?
1: you get to let go of the idea of like economics being a dirty thing and money being like the idea of economics and the idea of market uh, being a dirty thing instead of realizing that's just part of how we operate psychologically and realize that volunteers and people who are donors get something in return um, and that you have a responsibility if you want repeat customers if you will to give them something in return and i think we have done a poor job as a sector of measuring that, um, but ultimately it's purpose is the payment for their volunteerism or their contribution, she which is tr- it's tremendous value. But most of the time you write a check for a donation to a nonprofit, make a donation, you don't really ever feel the impact of that. Um, you don't grow as a result, and you don't necessarily like build new relationships as a result. So we think we're giving someone purpose, but we're not really, you're just sending them a photograph or an annual report. And for most people that doesn't leave them feeling a sense of purpose. Um, I think we have to do a better job as nonprofits of thinking about how are we delivering purpose to our donors and to our volunteers and actually surveying and talking to them about, you know, did this improve relationships in your life? Did it help you feel like a greater sense of impact? did you grow from this and constantly try to increase those numbers
0: mm. and i i thought you know that as it relates to the board is so critical because yep. that notion that you know well that my board is a volunteer and so i don't want to stretch them too much yep. and i you know that this should not impact their lives and what you're saying is actually no if you don't give them that kind of big growth challenge opportunity, you're not meeting their real purpose need.
1: Yeah, we tend to have a really patronizing attitude towards volunteers and boards and sort of assume, you have to baby them, we assume you have to coddle them, you assume they don't want to do hard work. But what we saw at Taproot over and over again is like you set the bar high and the best people like are inspired by that and step up, and the other people step away. What most boards do instead is they sort of keep this sort of low, mid, mushy sort of uh, goal, and as a result, no one's happy. Mm. Um, and you're just better off setting a high bar and being willing to lose people. But knowing the best people, it doesn't matter if they're paid or not paid, step up when they see a meaningful goal. Um, and they want to hit that goal. Um, and it's not about the money. I mean, I, we had m- countless millions of dollars donated in pro bono work with no cash payment. is because they got goals that they thought were worthwhile. Yes. Uh, and that motivates people.
0: And worth more than money.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, which is why they're willing to do it because they're not getting it in other parts of their life. Mm.
0: What, have you got examples where you see that organizations either in the for benefit or the yep. social purpose space have, you know, have got this concept and are running with it real time?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you see different organizations doing it in different ways. Um, so really, like, um, incredible diversity there. So you see some organizations, like on the pro bono side, they're really getting the fact that they have unlimited Resources at their disposal if they figure out how to partner with companies and realize that they're able to pay people in a sense through um, purpose, right? So you see a lot of organizations, um, and in the US, you actually found that uh, we looked at the highest performing nonprofits. Uh, They tend to have 10 to 20% of their budget through pro bono uh, time. Um, And that was a big part of what enabled them to break out of that poverty cycle. Um, So there's countless examples in every city of the top performing nonprofits uh, that are doing that. so that's sort of on one side. I think in terms of being able to really uh, position uh, themselves as an employer of choice, like you see that, again, through a lot of these uh, um, social entrepreneurial organizations. I talked about Teach for America, which has been the gold standard for a long time. Uh, but there's many more organizations along those lines that basically they set the bar high and say we're not going to be um, settling for anything less than the best. Um, they do that in their recruiting, et cetera. And then people – rise to that occasion. Um, So you see that uh, in the U.S. through organizations like that all the time. Um, In terms of, I think marketing, you see it a lot on the donor side where organizations have realized that people are so hungry for uh, purpose uh, and they're able to really turn that into a social and movement phenomenon. So you see organizations like Room to Read, uh, Charity Water, others have just been fundraising juggernauts because they found a way to build that relationship piece into the process Um, and through that been able to really have like unbelievable results in terms of fundraising
0: and I know that you know that's a bit like your joke about the coming in to paint the room yeah you know for some organizations then to try and figure out how they give volunteers or donors some sense of Um, give them a you know connection and relationship without as you jokingly said taking them on a tour of the poor or you know how what does that look like is have you got because that's tough for some organizations like you know only only trained people can do this work you know how do you see people breaking out of that kind of Uh, insular approach to solving social problems that leaves them isolated from funding from the wider community. Sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, so on our site imperative, you've got uh, an assessment that helps you determine what generates purpose for you. What we found with fundraising is like you need to be able to connect people to what purpose they want. And one of the key areas that we differentiate is people who see purpose from helping individuals, those that see it more at an organizational level, and then some people who see it at a societal level. So I think part of it is really getting to know your donors and to really help understand, do they need to see or hear stories or be able to connect with how did that kid benefit directly, right? For others, that's not that interesting. They want to know, show me concretely how your organization has become more sustainable, more effective, had a greater impact um, as a result of that contribution and give them exposure to that. And we all know storytelling is the best, Mm-hmm. You don't have to take people into the field. Just the storytelling um, can be powerful. And for some of society, they want to feel and understand how what they did contributed to broader changes happening in their community and society. Mm-hmm. And you can show them kid after kid, and that won't do much for them, or show them how the organization is doing well, and they're like, don't really care. They want to know that they're actually moving the needle mm-hmm. um, in so society. So much more nuanced,
0: nuanced understanding of what motivates you different.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you think about big companies, right, like mm-hmm. a Coca-Cola they segment their market and they, they do marketing to those segments. And I think what we tend to do in philanthropy, especially because most organizations are small, is we sort of have one blunt instrument we try to use you know, with everyone. Instead of realizing you've got these three pretty different mindsets about what needs to generate purpose. Mm. And it may be you as an organization say our strength is really at the individual level. Then try to find ways to attract those kind of donors. Mm. Um, but being much smarter about what people are going to psychologically find meaningful.
0: Mm. Thank you. Very, very much appreciate your time. Oh, absolutely. Um,
1: Fantastic. Keep leading with purpose.
0: We will. Thank you. (laughs) Our conversations may run dry as night passes by, but I don't mind sitting in the silence with.